podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This episode of Red Inca, we look at why Bangladesh bat so slow. And so since part of the problem is left arm fingerspin, we will explain that in the episode, I got on Bangladesh's greatest left arm fingerspinning journalist. My name is Mohammad Isan. I work for ESPN Cricket for as the Bangladesh correspondent. We cover politics, pitches, the BPL, coaching, old ODI cricket models, painkillers, mirrors, just to try and answer why Bangladesh batters don't hit the ball very hard. If anyone knows that there are problems in Bangladesh cricket, it's you. You're, well, you might be the problem for all I know. So what we're going to try and do here is we're going to try and focus specifically on T20 cricket and probably one day cricket to a lesser extent, because what I really want to know, Sam, is why on earth not a single player in your country can hit the ball off the square? I mean, there are other problems with Bangladesh cricket. Your women just lost to the Thai team. We could definitely be focusing on that. Let's start with the BPL. It's a comically slow scoring league. You must look at it from the press boxes and just be like, do any of our players ever hit fours or sixes? Yeah, uh, BPL, the first thing that comes to mind when you uh, talk about the BPL, especially in the last few years, is the pitches. They only use two grounds. Nowadays, they start to use three grounds. There are several batting wickets in Bangladesh, but they'll give a lot of excuses and only play matches in Mirpur. Most of the matches are held in Mirpur, which is in itself a very dark, tacky sort of surface, as you have always seen, that it, it's very it's a very dull surface. And, and when you play T20s day in, day out, two matches a day for... A month, maybe, with very little rest in between. You have you have to deal with fog. Sometimes you have to deal with early morning moisture, and then you know it, it doesn't get out of the covers for too long. And then you keep playing from afternoon evening. That's where the BPL uh, becomes such a slow scoring and such a sort of a pulling tournament. Sometimes, and I mean there there have been times when they played in places like Chittagong and and Silet that it became better, scoring rate easily improved. Then they just host I think six or seven matches each. Uh, so that's the answer. I mean, it's pitches for BPL. That is the root cause of, of your first question, why they can't hit the ball up the square. I thought that's exactly what it was, and I agreed with you. But when I did the numbers, it did appear to me that there are a lot of international batters who faced a lot of balls in the BPL who had very high strike rates, and there were no local batters that had it. So while I agree with you that I think the BPL is a slow-scoring league, right? It's probably up there with the PSL and the CPL as slower-scoring leagues. PSL because it's probably bowler-dominated. CPL because almost every pitch is different, like so different from each other that you get these wildly varying results. But I found two batters with a strike rate in the BPL of over 130 from Bangladesh. And it was Mushfika Rahim, and the other one was our old mate Mashrafi Multaza, who obviously averages about eight, so he doesn't count right? No one else scores a strike rate of 130. There's a lot of international players who faced a lot of BPL balls who do. So I wonder if it isn't something slightly different than that, but we're going to get to that in a moment. This league, the BPL, around 2018 to 2019, was within T20 circles, was one of the better leagues, wasn't it? It was really up and coming. A lot of the West Indians weren't coming to the Big Bash because they could make more money in Bangladesh for playing less cricket. The quality of it was quite high. AB de Villiers played in it. There was a lot going on. Talk me through what happened next with the cricket board. Sorry, I'm already laughing because I know. 
2018 and 2019, uh, they were very good tournaments. You could, some of the best players in the world. I mean, uh, David Warner and Steven Smith turned up for one of those tournaments because they were banned. They couldn't play anywhere and they, they chose the BPL to be one of their first forays back into cricket. You had Alex Hales, the ABD Villiers played for young riders. What happened was the BCB actually, the, the contract ran out. Franchise contracts were for six years, I think. And when the contract ran out, these franchises scrambled nine players and the biggest player in Bangladesh is Shakib Uh He quickly signed for uh, Rank Riders and he was allowed to sign uh, because all the other teams were signing their icon players and the moment that happened, someone in the beach said, oh, he's not going to play for Dhaka Dynamites. Now, Dhaka Dynamites. Dhaka Dynamites is owned by Bexim stands for Bangladesh Export Import Company. Bexim uh, is a large conglomerate. The hands of Beximco is Beximco Pharmaceuticals, run by Mr. Nazmul Aksanta, BCB president. Oh, there's obviously a conflict of interest. There is conflict of interest at every level in Bangladesh as I have written times and should have read it. So Shakib went from Dhaka Dynamites to Rangpur Riders. Rangpur Riders are by Basundara Group, which is the uh, largest company in Bangladesh and a rival of Beximco, at least in certain areas and of BPL. The moment that happened, the BCB shut down the cricket tournament saying that Shakib transfer or, or contract was null and void because none of these teams existed. They did not allow any of these teams to exist anymore. The names changed and they, they did post a BPL in 2019-20, just before the pandemic. Bangalore BPL T20 was run by franchises of who were new orders. Some of them were new orders, some of them were old but the whole model had changed. It was just a one-year contract with ECB. And obviously, after the pandemic, they tried something different as well. But And they did not have overseas players, the one in 2020, 2021. And there's a BPL coming up next month. So it's again a one-year contract BPL. So big money is not going to be easy. But that they will allow three foreigners per team in the 11, which means they can, I think, take six or seven players. But the time you spend 18, 19, that was really the peak of BPL with these big players. And as you said, they were paying more than Big Bash. I think I did a comparison with the Big Bash and it was actually quite good. And, and for a change, BPL teams were paying the players properly. And well, they, they slipped again. They just gave it up. And so on top of all the political stuff and the sort of nonsense that came out of that, they also did some bizarre things. Like they were talking about quotas for, was it fast bowlers and leg spinners? Ex- I know in cricket, when we talk about quotas, we generally talk about racial. Um, the fact that Bangladesh spun it around, well, literally spun it in this case, to, to legs. I get it. I actually understand the thinking behind it. We need more leg spinners in our national team. I just don't think that is the way to do it, to suddenly go to a young kid who's probably not good enough to be in the team. Well, you have to play now. So there was a lot going wrong with the league that up until that point, a lot had gone right with it over the last couple of years. That's fair to say, isn't it? Absolutely. The leg spinner thing that you mentioned, this was... For the 1920 tournament, which was run by the BCB, all the teams were owned by the BCB. There was a lot of human cry when Rashid Khan took 11 wickets or 10 wickets against Bangladesh in the uh, September 2019 test match. And the media was rife with talk that, look at us, we don't even promote a single leg spinner. In domestic cricket, we are ruining their careers. Suddenly, someone from the BCB came up with report that, oh, we're going to have leg spinners in every first-class team. They fired a first-class coach for not selecting a leg spinner for one game. But that became a big news. So they said, oh, we're going to do it in the BPL as well. Wow, I mean, amazing. So BCB had two teams in the tournament out of the six, I think. Those two teams didn't even listen to the BCB's own rule. It was just nothing. And leg spinner comes out of Bangladesh. We, I think we have four leg spinners in the whole, you know, first class, 
Piste and T20 competition, just four. And they've already ruined one guy's career by not picking him. There is a perception that leg spin doesn't work for this cricket. This is a very strange, weird perception. The BPL model has just uh, given up on it. And going so well in 2017. Well, I mean, it's, it's funny when you say, you know, that leg spinners don't work because obviously in T20 cricket, there's no one in T20 cricket outside of Bangladesh that aren't trying to load up as many leg spinners or left arm wrist spinners. That they, I mean, England might pick a school teacher to be their left arm wrist spinner because they can't find anyone else. And, you know, we, we've certainly seen that, you know, right across the board, people just being like, well, he's not a very good bowler. Yeah, but he's a wrist spinner. So we'll get him in the side, you know. I think all this comes back to pitches, which will obviously be the biggest part of our chat here. But how much of that is that the pitches are slower and lower and perhaps in Bangladesh they help finger spinners more than wrist spinners? Is that possible or am I just guessing and wrong? No, no, Jared, you're absolutely right. The pitches. About six years ago when Mustafis came into the team, Ashrafi was just begging everyone, just making sure that the pitches, you know, they can cut, they can bite into the ball, they can grip the ball. So if you have a bowler who's bowling a lot of cutters, if you need the ball to grip, obviously the left arm spinners or any finger spinner would love finger. Leg spinners need a bit of pitch, I think, on the figure. They need a bit of pickets are extremely dark and they're you know the style for tent is very different than neighboring India, you know. We we have the same landmark. So there are certain wickets in Bangladesh that could just a bit of India. It doesn't. It's very different, especially in Mirpur. They use a very different sort of soil and darkish soil. It's better in Chittagong and other places, but coming back to leg spin, but being fabulous of excessive one-day cricket in Bangladesh. I think 50-over cricket, the mentality is deep set that, no, we just need left-arm spinners. And you had me playing left-arm spinner, uh, me being a left-arm spinner when I played. And I was like the most important player in my team. So despite my shortcomings as a left arm spin works. But leg spinners, uh, I've seen a lot of great leg spinners in domestic cricket just, you know, fizzle away because of the lack of opportunities. They would not pick a leg spinner until they really need to or they really have no other choice. It's a very poor attitude, but it's an attitude that is not coming in up anywhere. All right, let's focus in on two things you just said then, the attitude and the 50 over thinking. So I think that Bangladesh cricket is probably the most conservative cricket culture left in the world. I'm trying to think if there's anyone more. I mean, even in some ways, Australia and India can be quite conservative, but nowhere near the levels that Bangladesh are. I can't think of another major cricket nation that is so conservative with the way that they play and plan their cricket. The other thing is the 50-over thing. Bangladesh seems to be one of the last countries left that really, really obsess over one-day cricket, perhaps because that's where you've had the majority of your success. Right? You haven't been as good in test cricket. You haven't been as good in T20 cricket, but you have been in one-day cricket. But you're not even playing a modern style of one-day cricket. Like, it's not England. It's not like your you're, you're pioneers there. You're basically playing the same style of one-day cricket that was played in, what, 2007? It's a very, very old style. So it feels to me that you've got this conservative nature or, and mixed with the one time that Bangladesh should have got good was playing very safe one day cricket and and you know you talk about left arm finger spinners left arm finger spinners are, are a safer option than than wrist spinners aren't they as a, as a general rule not you, not you not you compared to me but in general you're sticking up for leg spinners and I was like I was like, you know having to go at the early but but yeah I think it's almost like a match of 
this old-fashioned 50-over style and a very conservative nature of Bangladesh. Is that right? That's what I see from my distance. And, and you, you know, you watch a lot of cricket, Janet. I'm sure you watch a lot of Bangladesh matches. And it's, yeah, it is, again, absolutely correct. They do play a very old-fashioned one-day cricket. They, they rely on scoring 240-50 at home. And hopefully not due, and they, their spinners can come and wrap up the team for 210. That's the dream scenario in, in every T20 that they play, every ODI that they play. It's the same thing that repeats in every this day match, every league match that we play in. It's the same old model. Does that two good sort of pro players on the top, enough, you know, nerdlers in the middle order, then maybe one of the spinners will come and hit the repetition of this model that people. Just cannot get out of it. They, every cricket match we play, in fact, the amateur cricket that we play, it's modeled after these sort of that we're going to have our big hitters on the top. Middle order has to be some slow guy or someone who bats a little slowly, and then you uh, pick it up after maybe 45 overs for the last five over training game. It's, it's exactly what Bangladesh does in T20. Yeah, it's a one day sort of T20 then. The other thing you talked about there was at home, the whole style of Bangladesh cricket is only designed to win in Bangladesh, right? So, you know, I had a look at this. I don't know if you saw my video on it, but Bangladesh lose away from home in T20 cricket, but they're nearly a run and over quicker when they're away from home. So that tells us that the pitchers play a role, but they're still losing a lot. Like their whole setup is really to score between in in T20 cricket, as you, uh, you know, between 100 and 145. And in, in one day cricket, it's between what, 230 and 270. And then rely on the fact that a bunch of left arm finger spinners and off spinners are going to win the game for them. That's absolutely fine. But that's like one way of winning a game. If you look at like New Zealand, who've been in a bunch of different World Cup finals, if you look at Australia, and I'm not even talking about the really good teams like India and England, there's multiple ways that they win or their ways are so dynamic, they'll win kind of anywhere. Right, So England are coming from two sides. Their bowlers are trying to take wickets and their batters are trying to score at a, such a high strike rate all the way through the innings, right? That should work in most places. <laughs> you know, that's not an England setup style. And the same with India. India make sure they don't lose early wickets, score as much as they can, and then they rely on the fact that they have, you know, a good five bowlers, you know, if they're not using Hardik Pandya as their fifth bowler to be able to do that. And they're, they're saying we're going to score between 300 and 320 in most games. And most teams won't be able to score 300 to 320 against it. The Bangladesh model kind of works in Bangladesh, but I can't see how it will consistently work outside. And I know they did well in the 2015 World Cup. But as you, you and I have probably, I think we've discussed before, that was almost lucky because coming up to that World Cup, they weren't exactly in any form. They just sort of, everything went right for them at that World Cup. Yeah, uh, 2015 was also a part of a, a jumping off point for Bangladesh. They took a gamble on Mashafi bin Murtaza to be their uh, captain for the for one day and, and 20. Just before the World Cup, one series hit the captain as a regular permanent captain and then he went off to the World Cup, which the campaign itself didn't start off in the right right sort of foot. They lost the practice matches and uh, they were facing Afghanistan who had defeated them the uh, the previous year in, in Fatullah, I think. So it wasn't as if, you know, they were they had a lot of things going at the start of that World Cup. But as you said, it was slightly lucky because they got a few good wickets uh, against Afghanistan. They got smashed by Sri Lanka. But then again, they, they beat England. They, they put England. They won a very difficult game against Scotland. As you were saying, the, the conservative model which Bangladesh adopts for every sort of cricket match that they play Changed slightly when Mashavi. Mashavi said the word dynamic. He was the only dynamic captain that Bangladesh 
has had over the last 30 years of it, forget that they're thing. Bashafi was the first one to address the fact that they need a little bit of a, a push in the middle overs. He was the first one actually won some fast bowlers lineup. When they came back from the World Cup, he had enough reason to believe that Tasket, Rubel, and himself, they can form a bowling attack, which can start Shakir or whichever spinner that they have with. And then he found, uh, again, another stroke of luck, he found the visitor. So, Mashafi really pushed for a bit of a faster wicket, delivered it against India. Bangladesh beat India 2 1 that year. And then, the moment South Africa landed in Bangladesh, the pitches went back to <laughs> giving everyone a bit of a hard time. Bangladesh won the series as well because they had, again, Mashafi wanted players with a bit of flair, you know, like Pusharkar, Litton Dash, Abhiramal. He fought for them, wanted this new sort of a new model that Bush can adopt that Tamim will. Will play his role, and he has a very important role. But it was so important that the others couldn't really rotate the strike or score around him. So Ashrafi wanted two or three batsmen like Sean Pritton and um, Sabri to score quickly around him so that he can do his anchoring job. Because throughout Tamim's career, he's only been doing that anchoring job and then scoring from the other end as well. Ashrafi tried to change things up, uh, be a little dynamic, but then you know the system is so old, you know it slows you down, and even you can win some battles. You can win a few battles in a team management meeting or with the board president who gets very much involved, with other ex-cricketers who get very much involved within the cricket board. You can win some medals, but when push comes to shove, sometimes you have to back off. Say, okay, I'll give up on someone, make sure the bigger picture is reached. So, dynamic is a good word. I think dyna- dynamism has been missing in Bangladesh cricket since Mashrafi has uh, well, stopped being the captain. He hasn't retired yet, but sometimes he writes the very nice Facebook posts Talking about what they, you know, what should have been done, what could have been done, especially during the World Cup. So people miss him, you know. Even journalists miss him because of how interesting that whole period was. That that whole period of trying out stuff. You know, he was that sort of a captain who, despite being used to a tail ender by the end of his career, he did come out in one deep twenty, I think, in his Pakistan, just to splash the bowlers around, and he did it. That's the sort of guy he was. I love that. You know, your most dynamic captain has been reduced to a blogger. Also, Tammy Mikbal, I was there when he made the runs at Lords. Like, I reckon that was before I was in the press box. So I must have paid for a ticket like an animal, right? And went to that ground and watched him. And so you've got two incredible dynamic forces who just had the life force sucked out of them by um, Bangladesh cricket. So if you look at the, let's just have a look at this last World Cup. It was quite clear that Bangladesh struggled to bat. You could see it when they lost to Scotland. I know the Scottish bowlers did very well in this tournament. Even when they beat Oman, it's the fact that so many of their top order just chew up all these balls. I mean, it's hard to look at them in T20 cricket and not think that this isn't just a nation of anchors, is it? But the other thing that I found really confusing was the two surfaces that are probably the most similar to Bangladesh, like especially when you look at the numbers, but even with the eye test, are UAE and Oman. That's where they played, man. Like, literally, that's where they played, and they couldn't even step up in conditions that should have helped them more. I think what we should consider first was what sort of pitches they played the previous 10 T20s. Dog shit. Dog shit is the term you're looking for. Absolutely. Dog shit was the term. And the point was, they basically believed that if they can win a few matches against Australian News, they'll take the confidence of the Cup because 2021 has been absolutely shit for them. I think... First 10 matches, they were winless. They lost to West Indies. Sorry, they won the one-day series against West Indies. They lost the two test matches. Uh, Kyle Myers hitting that big 100 in the uh, Chidabong test, uh, four killings. And then they 
got smashed in New Zealand. Sri Lanka beat them 1-0. It was all going downhill until they beat Sri Lanka in this one-day series. Thing took one. Then they had Zimbabwe, which, well, they don't really count that much with how the public perceives Zimbabwe. So even if they did well, they needed to do something with Australia or New Zealand. Now, when they asked for a wicket that helped the spinners, this is the middle of summer, Janet. The pitches are unprepared because it's off-peak off-season. For curators as well. And you had raid around. They couldn't prepare the pitch. Actually, I heard that I think they got about 10 days before total in the previous months prepared that weekend. Underprepared weekend, all spitting everywhere. And then you had Australia in trouble. And winning can be a little addictive. So 1-3-2. Two. And by the end of the New Zealand series, you could realize that the batsmen's confidence was fucked. They were just... So batting confidence was gone. And I heard two very interesting things from coach uh, Russell Domingo. And he told me that it is better to go from bad pitches to good pitches for a batsman. And he said that he didn't believe that a batsman could say a month after playing on a bad wicket, they can go on a good wicket and, and think about what happened in those last 10 matches or, of, or playing in those wickets. So he said, I don't believe that a batsman can, you know, a month later, they'll still have a confidence problem. That's exactly that they had. They went to Oman first, where against Scotland, they were in a good wicket. But you could see from the very beginning, I mean, they were not really sure of how to approach. You had young players opening. Even the senior players took many deliveries. And the news started to filter out that they were not at all confident. They had lost all of it. And just before these 10 matches in Australia News Zealand, they were chasing 190 in D20s, which is this Bangladesh team. So Musharka was scoring fast. Little Nash was winning the matches. No, you had Amudullah winning the matches towards him. Amudullah is a pretty good T20 player. And they were reduced to these batsmen who couldn't play a short ball, couldn't hit out during the last five overs. You know, Amudullah basically blamed himself for the West Indies loss. And they, they had it in the bag, but just, you know, stalled it for too long. These are very interesting things that Bangladesh showed in the World Cup. And I recently did a piece on uh, how their power play batting was destroyed, basically, during those two series. So, for um, a good period, 2016-19, they were averaging 48 for power play. And you had someone like Litum Dash. Um, Litum Dash was, I think, his power play average was 156, second only to Colin Munro. Among batsmen who've played like 200 or 300 balls during power plays. And now you had Litum Dash scoring at 96. That is his peak this year, especially in the World Cup and, and during the Australia series. And then you had, uh, you know, Mushrik's on going... Shomu Sarkar going. These three were among the top order players. They were scoring quickly before the Australian New Zealand series. The Australian New Zealand series had a story of its own. There was a few things that needed to be corrected in Bangladesh. One of them was the team form. The other was this is this is a not a rumor, but uh, this is a perception that because there was a BCP election coming up in October, the the cricket board had to show something that they were doing something good. So winning matches is Australian New Zealand counted as something very important that had to be done. It had no real connection with the election, but that's how perceptions are created in Bangladesh cricket. And then, well, we saw what happened. The election went up well, but the World Cup didn't. <laughs> it's interesting too, because the whole confidence thing, Australia lost to West Indies and Bangladesh before winning the World Cup. And so I get the confidence thing, but realistically, I'm not sure it worked. The other thing is this whole, you're going from bad pitches to good pitches. They didn't really go to that much better pitches. The... Oman pitches were okay, but the UAE pitches were more or less very similar to Bangladesh pitches, really. And I suppose that's what really frustrated me. Like, 
they had the ideal World T20, if you think about it. It was a random tournament where unless England or West Indies absolutely dominated from um, ball one, chances are anyone was going to win it. And with the finals the way they are, that's always a chance in this tournament anyway. But there was probably, you know, five, six, even seven teams who had a, a chance coming into that tournament of winning. The conditions suited them, right? I mean, they're not going to get – the next World Cup isn't going to help them any more than this one did. They had a warm-up tournament. Like, everyone else is playing these stupid warm-up games. They're playing Oman and Scotland, like, some good games there. And they were absolutely terrible. Like, I don't know if you know this, but I did a power list about halfway through of, like, ranking the teams in the tournament. And I had them, you know, of the, of the top 12 – and I had them 11th and I had Scotland behind them because I think at that stage, Scotland had played their first two Group 12 games and been absolutely terrible. The amount of Bangladesh fans who contacted me to say I had Bangladesh too high, right? And by the end of the tournament, I think Scotland was playing the better cricket out of the yeah. two teams, right? And Scotland beat Bangladesh as well, but but Scotland did have a very rough couple of games when they first got to the um, uh, the Super 12s or whatever we're calling second round, right? But yeah. Bangladesh were absolutely terrible in this tournament, even including that first round. You had the cricket going bad. I mean, it was so many negative things, Jared. Um, they lost the first match against Scotland. Owen wasn't that great. PNG, they, well, PNG, and again, against PNG, they had them eight down, I think, or like very little. And then still PNG scored, scored some runs after mm -hmm. that. But these were points that needed to be addressed. But what they started to do was they started to reply to the board president and their critics from press conferences and created a lot of unnecessary talk around the team. The last to Scotland, the board president came out and smashed them, which he does often. Always helpful. Always helpful. No, look, Derek, of course it's not right, but he's done it in every tournament since he's yeah. been around. He, he does yeah. that. It's not as if the players don't know. I'm not what he does, but, you know, the players, you had Shrik, you had Takib and Mamdullah. These are smart guys. They came out. And started to get angry. Sakib obviously tried to try to be a little diplomatic, but then Mahmudullah after the PNG game, you know, these are the problems. You come out beating PNG and you come and get you know, into a slanging match with the media, talking about how they have such a tough tough time in the background, they're having to have a lot of painkillers before matches. And his nickname became painkiller during the World Cup and still I think. That's really I mean, he just lit when you have problems, why would you Double your problems by going into these press conferences. And Mushriq came out in his first big knock against Sri Lanka when he lost the game. He was asked again about the criticism. And he said, well, I've been around for 15, 16 years. This is very normal. You know, those these critics should go and see themselves on the mirror. His nickname became Mr. Aina. Aina stands for mirror. It was so difficult, you know. They just made it harder for themselves. And then by the end of the tournament, Mahmoudullah was reduced to a very ordinary cricketer speaking very softly and quietly in the press conferences. These things mattered. There was even one day when I think they were late for one press conference and the traveling media just boycotted. They didn't want to do the press conference. This happens. I mean, you know, they are still in a bubble, but they're creating so many problems. Oh, the board president understandably stopped, stopped, stopped talking uh, in the media because it was becoming too much. I mean, had he spoken one more time, I don't know what would have happened. I mean, thankfully, he... Also calmed down, and, and then the team had to stop as well. After they came back, Mushfiq got dropped. I think he gave a few interviews where he said that uh, he wasn't rested, he was dropped. And again, he ran into trouble. So these things, for a long time, they were very unnecessary. Mushfiq used to absorb that pressure. You know, you had captains like Habibul Bashar. I remember I was, I was a young journalist at the time. I was very surprised. That, like, why is he still defending his team? Why is he defending his players? 
Why is Dave Watmore, who looks angry at the press conference and the media, why doesn't he tell anything? And then I heard from Dave Watmore or others that, yeah, we scream at our players, but not in front of you guys. We'll tell them they're going to be okay in front of the media and the public. But when we go back to the dressing room, they hear from us. And the players were shit scared of Dave Watmore. They didn't like him a lot. They didn't like David Sidens a lot, you know? But they learned a lot of things from these guys. They learned a lot of things from Chandigathur Singh. Chandigathur Singh was something very different from Bangladesh cricket. He was strong. He was given a lot of backing by the cricket board. And he, and he worked with a lot of freedom and he used it well sometimes. But uh, off late, I think these things have been missing. And as you asked me, I mean, this World Cup just opened up how conservative Bangladesh cricket is, how, I don't know the word, for the opposite of dynamism. Turgid? Something like, yeah, turgid, yeah. Absolutely. They were flawed into taking decisions, you know. It was slightly on the quicker, quicker side, the surfaces. They were just blown away. They were like, want to go home. Shakib Bhai is gone. We don't want to stay without Shakib Bhai. He, I think that was the scariest part. That, I mean, when he left, that suddenly looked like an associate team, didn't it? When, when Shakib Al-Hassan was not available to them. And look, there's no team in the world, if they had a Shakib Al-Hassan, could replace him because he's the only player kind of like him in the world, right? Tadeja's maybe the only player close, but I, I don't know even if Tadeja could bat as high in the order as he could, right? I don't know if you saw my piece about you can't replace him really. There's not another batter outside the team as good as him. And he's the best bowler as well. Like to have that combined in one player is incredible. But my God, did they look terrible without him. I mean, it looked like, they, as you said, it almost looked like they gave up once he wasn't available. But it also looked like their team wasn't that good anymore. Harold, uh, I don't know whether you noticed, but Bangladesh Cricket Board actually didn't have enough players for the past that Okay, this is a team that traveled with 17 players, like all the other teams, 17 to 18, 15 squad and those two traveling reserves or something. Bangladesh had Rupert Hussain, the experienced fast bowler, and a leg spinner of all people, Mr. Amir al-Islam. It's a decent leg spinner and batsman. He was traveling with the team, but after like a week, he was sent back home because they wanted him to play first class play. So sent back home, they just have one uh, extra player. Sydney's match, Shakib got hurt. A day after the West Indies match, the wicketkeeper got hurt in the nets. I think he got hit in the groin by a fast bowler. So Saifuddin was injured, so Rubel had replaced him. That traveling reserve was also mm. Now you had 14 players in the squad. Two were gone. So 15 players, two were gone. You had to choose 13 players. The squad actually had 13 players. They couldn't include anyone because the one was traveling. Rumor has it that Many cricket board officials went to UAE and came back a number of times. So they could spare the ticket for that, but they couldn't get one extra player to UAE, which has a direct flight from Dhaka. Dhaka to Dubai, Dhaka to Abu Dhabi, these are very popular flights. You get five in a day. You could have sent someone, put him in quarantine, still made him available for the team. They had National League, like the uh, first class competition going here, that players who were in training, no, they didn't bother. They didn't just bother because Shaki wasn't there. They didn't care. They had 12 players or whatever. They did not just bother after Saki was gone. Thought this was it. Obviously, we're going to lose. And, you know, you can have that thought that you've been part of teams, right? You've been in, within those inner sanctum where a lot of things are said that cannot be said in the public. I mean, mm. you can't come out and say that, well, Saki is gone. I don't think we need to play. That's exactly how they behave in the past two matches. The players are sometimes blamed for everything. But I've said it in a... I think I... I've said it in a few shows in Bangladesh that, look, the players don't select which matches they want to play. They don't select tours like Srila, like, okay, we'll call up the Zimbabwe cricket board and play against them. There's a perception in Bangladesh that playing in Zimbabwe makes them weak. I don't know how that comes from. <laughs> but that is one very strange perception. 
So the players don't choose that they play against Zimbabwe. The players don't choose the pitches. It's all the officials. It's a very top-heavy sort of cricket setup in Bangladesh. In every level that you go to, the president or the secretary or the team manager or the team owner, they decide everything. The coaches don't decide everything. The captain sometimes can't decide everything. Mashrafi had to fight for his life sometimes. You know, he had the fight of his life in his hand just to select a player or take the team in a different direction because no one would agree with him. So, you know, these two matches, they were the lowest point, I think, in Bangladesh cricket. They just showed that, you know, going into such a big tournament, this was their attitude. So we've covered the tournament. Let's talk about the basic reason I got you on the podcast, which is that Bangladeshi batters don't hit the ball off the square, right? You said something really interesting early on. You said that amateur cricket is exactly the same as the international team. So it's not like people are dynamic in amateur cricket and they suddenly get turgid when they get to the international level, although we do know that there are certain players who maybe get the, the edges chipped off them a little bit. Let's start with the pitches. And when I talk about the pitches, everyone thinks I'm having a go at the uh, Australia and New Zealand pitches, right? When I'm talking about the pitches, I'm talking about the pitches from club cricket or, or school cricket, club cricket, all the way up to the international level. It feels like to me, there must be a reason that so many Bangladeshi batters play very straight and don't try big shots and don't have a power game. I can't think of a single hitter that's ever come out of Bangladesh, right? There's been a hitter out of every other... I mean, you know... Talk about Scotland. George Munsey can probably hit the ball twice as far as some of the Bangladeshi players, right? Scotland have got guys like Ollie Hares who aren't even playing in their team who can hit the ball further than guys in Bangladesh, right? So when I say the pitches, do you think the pitches countrywide play a part in the fact that Bangladesh isn't better at hitting the ball? Not really, Jared. I think what you saw against Australia and New Zealand is a part of a plan that Chandika Hakula Singh put in place with picking up the cricket board uh, that in test matches, which they were not winning at that time. This is around 2016. England coming and Australia probably coming the next year. They have pitches where we can beat them. The only way that they can beat them is due to the lack of fast bowling talent or lack of fast bowling performance. They decided that three spinners, that's the sort of pitches they made. Come with a lot of mixed results in the last five years. But somehow they've beaten England. They've defeated Australia, West Indies at home. They were smashed by Sri Lanka once. Probably beat them. Afghanistan smashed them. So, Midwood is a different beast altogether. Midwood is one of the lowest scoring domestic pitches as well in one day at T20 cricket. You go to other places like, like Chittagong or Fakulla. There are beautiful batting wickets beautiful. in Cobra, which is a, a town and part of Bangladesh. You have Ratshahi and Rongpur. These are very good pitches where fast bowling does well. In Kulla, the fast bowlers do well. They do produce a lot of fast bowlers. So, everything is in place. Just attitude, as you said, there has never been a hitter out of Bangladesh. All the hitters that I've known in my life are come out in the when they are seven for ninety or something, and would all wait for him to hit a few sixes because he was the one guy who had some cuts to. And we we knew that Bangladeshis need cuts to hit sixes, not to face fast bowling. They had the cuts to face great fast bowling. Mahabubul Bashar was a good, had very good technique. Mohammad Ashraful was good against fast bowling, but hit sixes, as you say, it's such a important skill these days. They never developed it. There were so many all-rounders who came up. Uh, they had Farhad Reza, Kiaraman. People ridiculed them for from their own teammates in the Bangladesh team. They didn't really think believed in them because the whole culture is of spinners and spinners knowing how to bat. It isn't about fast bowlers who would be given the chances. When Saifuddin came up to the ranks, Saifuddin, he comes from a very out-of-the-road place. Like uh, I think he's from Feni, uh, which is in the south. He came up and he did bat in the top order for the under-19s. He bowled uh, with the new ball. And Mashafi backed him. Mashafi thought that he's good with the new ball. 
And sometimes with these things, I think it's a bit of lack of talent. You have to believe in some people. Just show that you believe in them. And then you know, when Alphabet got hit by David Miller in South Africa in 2017, Arshavi kept playing here. Okay, you got hit. I'm still going to give you a chance. He came to the BPL, got smashed by Darren Semin one. Doesn't matter. Mashavi kept trying him on the team. He did well in the World Cup. He's developed a few servers. Mashavi told me that if you don't throw them in the deep end, they're not going to come up with their own sort of varieties. You know, Saifuddin was just a simple. So he figured out that I need to go back on the hand stuff. But if you throw a guy in the deep end, like Mahmudullah himself, you know, Hathura Singh, I think Hathura Singh's uh, development of Mahmudullah as the big hitter for Bangladesh he was, it has had a lasting impact even after he left. Mahmudullah was a Pretty good hitter. Even in this World Cup, he scored a quick fire 50. But that's it. I mean, he's a full batsman who had to be turned into a hitter. Mm. To answer your original question, why can't Bangladesh find any hitters or why can't Bangladesh hit big? It's because of the culture. It's because of a combination of the culture of cricket here. A bit about the pitch. I don't think the pitch is a big problem. It's the attitude of cricket officials. When I look at Bangladesh batters, they remind me very much of English batters and perhaps New Zealand batters from when they're domestic pitches were bright green, right? Which is that there's almost a fear that they are going to miss a ball at any stage, right? And in England and New Zealand, it was obviously that the ball is going to whip in either direction off the seam or, or, or swing or whatever. And in Bangladesh, it's like at any stage, I feel like the ball is going to keep low. So I have to keep a straight bat, keep my elbow up and pump the ball down the ground. If you compare that to West Indian batters, perhaps Australian batters who bat on much better surfaces in general, the sorts of pitches that you get in some of those other places. I always feel like the one reason that the Australian batters were so good, especially coming through that great period, was so, and even now, realistically, is that so many of them grow up on synthetic pitches and matting pitches, right? They just automatically trust the bounce. And then they then have to learn how to play on the green pitches and the Asian pitches, which brings in its own problem. What it doesn't bring in, though, is a fear. And what it doesn't bring in is a rigidness, right? It brings in a flexibility. So, my thought, and if I'm completely wrong, you tell me I'm wrong, but my thought is that if what we've seen from enough Bangladesh pitches, I agree with you that Mirpur is by far worse than many of the others, internationally and domestically. I've had a look at some of the numbers. My thought is that there seems to though be certainly a case where at the lower levels, if left arm finger spin is on top and it's the thing that everyone wants, or off spin as well, the finger spin in general, that so many of the pitches are made to suit those sorts of bowlers, even from a very young age level, that it's very hard to ever be in the mindset to be able to swing when you're always worried that the next ball is going to keep very low or it's going to rag back when it spins. That's what it looks like to me as someone who watches international cricket everywhere. But you're there. Am I even close or am I completely wrong? No, it just seems you've been playing uh, domestic cricket here secretly, Sarah. Is it true? Yes, I have actually. I was a leg spinner. They put me in a side and then I hurt my arm. I couldn't do it anymore. No. <laughs> no. So uh, I'll just give you two very interesting anecdotes. Whenever I've played, I have always seen that a batter in Bangladesh hits a six and defends the next ball. And there's a joke among us friends that that is Bangladeshi cricket for you. You hit a six, the next ball, like a good boy, like a good Muslim boy, you stay in the crease, defend the ball, be conservative. Then you can do whatever you feel like. If you have hit one six in and over, that's it. Don't be greedy. That's the attitude, number one. Number two, Jared, you know that the Dhaka League is, is the structure, like the English Premier League. You have the third division, second, first, and premier. I started playing in the third division, which is league cricket, but a lot of you know, uh, upcoming players, a lot of good players, you know, 40 plus or under 19 players play in that league. 
and I got smashed every match. Every match they just stayed from the and it was played on matting wicket where they trusted the bounce. Every match I could hit or two. I was a left arm spinner. They didn't care. I got wickets, but I also got smashed. Following eight years, I played in turf wickets in first division and Premier League cricket. Whatever I played, it was all turf cricket or on natural turf. I only got hit for once. Eight years, I've played a few hundred matches, I think. I got hit for one thing. That was one of my friends who told me the night before that you have never been hit for a six right? I said, no. I said, I'm going to break that too. Just for, <laughs> the, for the fun of it. What a prick your friend is to start with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he hit me for a six over quick figure. That was the only one I got hit for. And that's the story for you. The higher you go, you have players who get paid a lot of money. For, I always thought. Because they get paid, the best one gets paid them. They didn't want to take a chance against left arm spinner. Yeah. You're right that you just cannot hit a left arm spinner regular, can you? On pitches that no. help the spinners. Honestly, I, I said that the pitches are better in other places than before, but still it turns. It grips. I mean, I, I haven't come across maybe one or two pitches inside the BKSP are really good because they're well tended. But otherwise, most pitches, they help the spinners in the second half. It just is. That is how it is. But, you know, that whole habit comes from the bowling. Okay. But then the batsmen also look over the shoulder and think, oh, What's the coach going to say if I get out there? So there is no adventurism in Bangladesh again, unfortunately. You're not going to see a batsman in school cricket score 1,000 runs in a match. Unfortunately, as much as people hate that, I would want someone to try and do that. You know what? Even I have been an idiot at times. Shomu Shakar was, I think, 12 or 13 years old. His, I was playing with his elder brother, uh, who's the teacher now, Pushpen Sakar. He was a wicketkeeper batsman, hard hitter. So Pushpen was a teammate. He brought his younger brother to the team one day and said, guys, my younger brother just scored a double hundred in a one-day match. So I'm like, wow. I asked him, so where did he score that hundred? He told me the name of the ground and I said, uh, oh, that's a small ground, man. You know, 200 runs is no problem. But now I think that a kid who scores a double hundred or a kid who scores a triple hundred in a one-day match, there has to be something in him and you have that culture going in, in, the, in, in school cricket. You go to school cricket, Jared, in Bangladesh, you'll still get 240 and 210, unfortunately. That's the average. That's a country average. It's it's a very conservative sort of a communist sort of figure. I'm sorry. I'm saying but that's how it is. Everyone does the same thing everywhere. We need free market cricket in Bangladesh, says Mohammed Isab. What's funny, the more we've talked about this, and you've been talking about left arm finger spinners, obviously because you were one, but also they are so dominant in Bangladesh cricket culture, as you've talked about. I've been thinking about it while you've been talking that essentially that's the spoiler bowler, right? You think of Mike Yardy and... Michael Clark. M- Michael Clark. Mark Watts. Yeah. Imad Wazim. These sorts of guys, that's what they are, right? They're the yeah, bowlers yeah. that you can't get away. Michael Beer and, you know, there's heaps of them out there that are like that. And you've basically built a culture of cricket around one kind of bowling, which is the most... I mean, obviously, you personally are very, a very beautiful spin bowler. And Shakib. But even if you look at Shakib, like, if you compare him to... Other spinners of of his era, he's got like a really almost like a robotic action, action, and there's nothing like graceful or beautiful about the way. I mean, his his skills are incredible, but there's nothing really great. It's just like I am going to bowl with a low arm. Occasionally, I'm going to spin it, and occasionally, I'm not going to spin it at a pace that's dangerous. That has become the king of this country, and it's almost like if the most conservative bowling style matches up with decent pitches, how do you? break out of that as a culture like it's a really interesting and maybe they don't maybe they just have to get better left arm finger spinners and that's how they win around the world i don't know that part is jared that 
the thing that you just said, how do you match a good wicket with a, with a very conservative sort of bowler? It's already creating problems for the last four or five years. You've got very good batting wickets in first-class cricket. You don't see a lot of left-out spinners do well. It used to be nine out of the top ten in, in uh, you know, yearly charts of best wicket takers. It has come down. And, you know, the quality of left-arm spin, according to a lot of coaches, they have also gone down. I've done a piece on only left-arm spin in, in yeah. last year, I think, earlier this year. And there I spoke to all the big ones, Muhammad Rafiq, uh, I spoke to Enamul Hawk, senior and junior. You know, they all told me that, you know, this is great skill that we developed. It, it's, it's good, I think, having one skill, developing one skill. But every left-arm spinner feels that if there was one fast bowler in my team roughing up one side of the ball, it makes life easier even for a left-arm spinner. So it's not really working. You know, it's already, it's a bit dodgy right now. It's not as if, you know, every year it's the same sort of 10 or 9 left-arm spinners taking all quickest. It's not. You have a few off-spinners coming up, but then that's by default because the left-arm spinners aren't really working. And there are no leg spinners. And thanks to Taskin Amit, there's a bit of fast bowling coming up now. I think Mutafiz mm. and Taskin has done enough now bring up one or two kids who want to vote fast. So there is one glimmer of hope there. But then again, the pitches, you know, if they don't support left-arm spin, <laughs> I don't think they'll ever support fast voting. What needs to happen, if you were emperor king of Bangladesh cricket, of which you should be, what do you need to do? Is it at the junior level? Is it at the first-class level? Is it at the Dhaka Premier level? What needs to be done to, to sort of break Bangladesh out of this cycle of conservative left-arm fingerspin obsession? Right, I can be honest with you, right? And your audience. Yeah, it's just you. No, it's just you and me. No one's listening. Right. They just have to tell themselves some truth. There's some <laughs> home truths have to be told. You have... We are blessed as a cricketing nation. Honestly, it's a blessed country. You have talent coming up. You have a great school system. It, it, you have a, not a great school system, but there's a culture of cricket in school. You have a culture of cricket in uh, 64 districts in the country, in the eight, seven or eight divisions. Every division or every district wants to come up with a Bangladesh cricketer. You don't know how proud they are when when their kid, you know, one kid from that whole district comes up. You know, it recently is Shamim Hussain, the uh, left-handed batsman. He came up from Chapur, Chapur, a very famous district for uh, the Hilsa, the fish. But you know, it had its first international cricketer. And I, I saw their Facebook posts and I saw them on TV. They were so happy. You know, you have these stories where people are happy to have a cricketer among themselves. Something is right. But right at the top of Bangladesh cricket, they just tell themselves that this is not working. A lot of things that are wrong in Bangladesh cricket, Jared. It's pitches, it's the way talent is managed, it's the way stars are managed, you know. The way someone like Tamir Iqbal doesn't feel like being part of this team because, you know, the team management doesn't want him. There are moments when they don't want Mahmudullah. There are moments they don't want Musik in the team. That's the scary part. You don't have a transition in place. You don't really have a lot of very good place to replace them. So you have to make the last bits out of them. It has happened. It's not just this management. They felt like this all the time because the cricket board doesn't really know what they do. Then when the management thinks differently, well, then it comes to person battles, personality clashes, and all these things. This this cannot help any small company, let alone such a big thing as Bangladesh. Figuring, so, as I said, people get happy when Bangladesh win. Oh, and when you see that people get happy when Bangladesh are looting, that's scary. That's what should scare Bangladesh cricket board. That, that's where they should draw a line and say, well, we need to take honest. We have taken a lot of not honest. The not honest means you have to, as Mushfiq said, look yourself in the mirror. But look yourself in the mirror and tell yourself that I'm going to do justice to them. 
you know, sometimes when I go to Bangalore for working in Trick Info, sometimes I've, I've been there a few times. My colleagues, they're convinced that sometimes cricket popularity in Bangladesh matches India's volume. You know, it is one-tenth of the population, perhaps. Because the way people are obsessed about cricket in Bangladesh, the cricketers or the cricket board, actually, they don't give back. You should just see the situation in the stadiums when they came back. Pakistan was the first series uh, in the pandemic. Just seen the sinks and that whole atmosphere in that stadium. They had two years to clean that stadium. Because the paying public is going to pay. They're going to watch it on TV. But people criticize Bangladesh, of course. But there is, it's a small country, Jared, and it's a new country. It's just 50 years. Just people don't have a lot of things to be cheerful about. So cricket obviously was one of them. And people actually equate not just nationalism or, or pastime with cricket. It's, it's a way of life. So they're just doing so much injustice to this whole love for cricket that, you know, you... As you said, if I was the emperor or king of Bangladesh cricket, I wouldn't do much. I'll just ask these emperors or, you know, the kings of Bangladesh cricket to please tell yourself the truth. They'll ask the truth. If there is a problem. There is obviously a problem with Bangladesh cricket team, with Bangladesh cricket. Just be honest with you. I want you to go look yourself in the mirror, take a painkiller, and remember that you are the emperor king. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me, Zan. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Red Inca. There is more information on my guests available in the show notes, including their Twitter profiles, if they have one. This is the important bit, though. Please review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere, really. Share it on all the social medias and just get it out there. If you can, act it out in plays on your balcony with your loved ones. This podcast is made possible by the people who support us at Patreon, so thanks to those who already do. And there is a link to Patreon in the show notes as well. Red Inca is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes everything sound better for your ears, and the theme tune is called The Prisoner by the Red Crickets.